We're just so grateful for this congregation that's welcomed us into your midst and loved and encouraged us through the last couple of years that we've been up here as we moved from Cresswell, Oregon, uh, two years ago, and we came up to uh, Petey, and now we live in Monmouth on the east side of Highway 99. In just a moment, we'll be reading together from Luke chapter 15, and we'll read a very uh, famous passage in just a moment. But I'd like to say um, thank you, Heather, for uh, introducing us and welcoming us, and also uh, the encouraging things that she's leading the youth in. Uh, uh, She mentioned to me earlier in the week uh, that uh, they were working on their testimonies, being articulate their testimony of how Christ has changed their life and how important it is for every one of us. Um, And then hearing about how they're being encouraged to uh, memorize God's word, uh, how and and to ask them, what are you working on? I think it would be very appropriate if we gave the youth permission to ask us what we're working on because it should be a multi-generational, mutual experience of us Letting the word of Christ richly dwell within us, as Colossians three sixteen and seventeen uh, say. Um, but then uh, uh, I was uh, just listening recently to one of my favorite Bible teachers uh, from Scotland. Um, his name is Alistair Begg. He's been pastoring in Cleveland, Ohio, for the past um, oh thirty five years or so. But he grew up in Scotland. It was interesting to hear him just reference in Scotland in the public schools at that time because the 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 history of the reform movement in Scotland uh, over centuries that was so much a part of their culture that the Bible, how important it was. And so he, as a middle schooler, was being asked to memorize portions of Scripture in their public schools. That was fascinating to hear about. And if you ever hear him teach... He's full of God's word. It comes out. And I think of Paul's exhortation to Timothy. He says, uh, you know, give yourself to the word of God because the word of God is inspired of the Holy Spirit. And it will equip you, Timothy, for the ministry you have. So what you're encouraged amen, is certainly what God would encourage uh, these young people and encourage one another in terms of the importance of the uh, word of God. So let's uh, read together from... Luke chapter 15, Um, Luke has put together the various events of Jesus' life and ministry, and we see uh, many of the interactions that Jesus has with people is in reference to some kind of a a context uh, or an event or a question that he was asked uh, about. And in this particular context, the, um, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, are grumbling grumbling, complaining, and it comes up over and over again, grumbling and complaining about Jesus. You're not fraternizing with us. You're not spending your time with us. We're the religious elite, the ones leading Israel into a true pathway of knowing you. You're not spending time with us. And what are you doing? You're spending time with the marginal people life. You know, they're called the tax gatherers and sinners. And so... He so they were always accusing him uh, about that because he welcomed and received them and, and ate with them. And so Jesus has a response in terms of, okay, 
tax gatherers, uh, I mean, okay, um, Pharisees and scribes. Well, do you want to know what God is like? Well, let's, let's look a little bit about what God is like. And uh, so we'll begin reading chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Why? Uh, well, I will get to that in a second. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Three parables coming up. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. And he tells them a second parable. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Tells them a third parable now. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we had spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his family. But oh, but while he was still a long... I'm sorry, I misread that. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us celebrate and eat together for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked, what are, the, what are these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the brother was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that you've given us. Thank you that your word shows us more and more who you are and what you're like. Lord, I pray that you would bring revelation to our hearts all the more of who you are and what you take pleasure in. Lord, we need your truth to come and illuminate our hearts. We need your revelation. So we ask for that. Ask for your spirit of grace that would come upon each one of us because you know what we have need of this morning. We thank you in your son's name. Amen. Well, that's a powerful section of scripture to read together. When uh, I was in college in my summers, I lived in East Portland with my parents, and I worked at uh, a fence manufacturing company, and our job was to put together uh, chain-link fence gates that they would sell to different uh, departments, uh, hardware stores or or wherever chain-link fence was distributed. And during that summer, there were several students that were either students at Multnomah Bible College, it was called at that time, and uh, or they were graduates of. And we would have times together in our break times to read some scripture or pray together or share what it was like uh, sharing with uh, our co-workers and opportunities of how they could come to know Christ. Uh, one, one particular uh, summer, there was a student from Western Conservative Baptist Theological Seminary. And I'm glad they changed the name of the seminary. Now it's called Western Seminary. So it's a lot simpler to say now. Um, but he, um, he brought a book written by A.W. Tozer. Some of you have read any of Tozer's writings. You know he's a dense, uh, a dense theologian. I don't mean dense in terms he's dense, but in terms of all the, the verbiage, vocabulary he uses, and his passion to know the greatness and awesomeness of God is is just uh, almost overwhelming as you uh, look at it and read it to, together. But it's expansive. So he would read a chapter of Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, during our lunch breaks. And I remember thinking, wow, I, I thought I knew something about God. And now when he's reading from Tozer, I go, I don't know if I really, really know this awesome, amazing God. And so... Um, I don't remember reading this part of Tozer's book or hearing it uh, at that particular time, but it was on the love of God. And Tozer writes this, um, Because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning because he is eternal. His love can have no end because he is infinite. It has no limit because he is holy. It is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because, and because he is immense, his love is incomprehensibly vast bottomless, a shoreless sea. Now, those are amazing words, and you go, boy, you're listening to that. Could, could you go through and explain each one of those words a little bit more to understand it? And we're grateful that we have theologians that have that, that deep, heartfelt love for God and a being, being able to express it in terms of the ineffable, mysterious, awesome mystery of how great God is. But I'm so glad that Jesus, who is God incarnate, he came, and uh, he knows how to convey the love of God with stories as opposed to just big theological words. And so we got to hear three stories there 
a little bit about the love of God with Jesus, just sharing, oh, let me, let me tell you a little bit about what this God is like. So the uh, particular context of which uh, Jesus writes, he's writing to, in a context, again, where the, the scribes and Pharisees keep accusing him for why he, he actually will dwell with and eat with those who are the margins of society. Why will he indeed be with tax gatherers, who tax gatherers were just hated uh, by the Jewish people because he felt like they sold out to Rome to, to lift their standard of living, to gain more money. And, and so they were despised by all the people, especially the scribes and Pharisees. And then Jesus would welcome them and talk with them. And then we uh, see how Jesus would also dwell with others that were looked down upon by the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus had to tell them, well, you want to know what God's like? God is one that loves people. And, it, and, he, and he shared those three stories. The first one, he shared one about a man having a hundred sheep, and then one of them was lost. Then he shared a second one. There was a woman that had ten coins, very likely a poor woman, and uh, she lost one. And then talks about a man who was a father who had two sons that were lost in their two different ways. And so what do we learn about God from these three particular stories? One is we can see uh, that he is one who seeks and finds and rescues. So Jesus is trying to help all of us understand that he's a seeking God. The scribes and Pharisees thought that, oh, if they would perform all their religious duties and check off all their list of the things that somehow in their perception would please God, that somehow God might notice them. But no, Jesus brings the understanding that God is a seeking God. He goes after us. And he's the one that is, is always looking for us, trying to find us. And that would, that would total, totally blow their minds, blow our minds to think, hold it. I mean, in my sojourn, I thought maybe I was seeking God, but really God was the one that was arranging events in my life, going after me, bringing certain people into my life, allowing me to maybe hear a radio program here where somebody was conveying something or a friend or a neighbor. All these little things we discover, oh, God was indeed seeking me. And so this shepherd, he goes out and he's looking for that sheep, trying to find it. He doesn't give up until he finds it. And we have a God like that. You know, probably most of us maybe have seen on telephone poles, lost cat or lost dog. And then we go, oh, it looks like somebody is really concerned about their pet. And then three months later, you see the same sign, the weather beaten. And you go, did they ever find their dog? Did they ever find their cat? Were they really interested in finding it? We're grateful that we have a God that went after us and just didn't put out a sign said, oh, if you happen to find so-and-so, oh, let me know. He really went after us. Uh, in East Monmouth, where we live, uh, it's a great place to walk. And uh, periodically, I've been uh, stopped by people saying, have you found or seen a dog? Or it looked like this. And if you let us know. Okay, they were really anxious, genuine 
wanting to know. I even had somebody stop me once and said, hey, have you seen a swarm of bees? I was going, well, well if, you know, I, frankly, I don't think I'd want to see a swarm. But they, oh, and they said, no, when they're swarming, they're safe. They won't sting you. Well, that didn't make me feel a whole lot better. But okay, that, that's good to know. So there are, are those who are really anxious. And our God is one that sought, like a shepherd, seeking that lost sheep. And then there was the woman who indeed had a lost coin. And what's it say? It says she... Sweeps the house, lights a lamp until she finds it. You know, it's probably worth a day's wages, perhaps. Maybe it was part of a wedding dowry for a daughter. But I'm convinced this woman was a wife. Why? Because she found the coin. If, she, if this was a husband, nope. Through the years of Lynn and I have been married, if we had a list of all the things that she's found, I said, "Hun, you know where my wallet, my keys, you know? Oh, oh, here, okay, yeah, thank you. Or I didn't see it in the closet. Oh, she would find it. So I would say that she's a wife and definitely she was a mother. You know, the kids coming, where is that? You look over here, look over there. So she was persistent in finding what she had lost. But now when we come to the world of relationships, Now it gets more complex because God understands the dynamic of relationships. And he uses the illustration of a family. And so we see where a father had two sons. And it talks about the youngest son and what he did that totally dishonored the father, dishonored his family, dishonored the extended family, dishonored the community, dishonored the the the, the nation of Israel, everything he did brought shame upon the family. He essentially came to his dad and says, okay, since you're not dead yet, maybe I kind of wish you were, I want the, my part of the estate. And so they had to sell off part of the property. Here's the proceeds. And so away he went and he just he, he's burned up that money in probably a number of months. He was maybe the kingpin for a while in this particular community. But then he comes to where nothing's there, and they have an economic downturn. And what's he do? He, a good Jewish boy, he's having to take slop to pigs. And he's so hungry and so emaciated that he wants to eat what's being fed to the pigs. I know a number of you here, you understand about raising pigs. You ever been hungry enough to go, boy, that looks pretty good. Yeah, man, maybe I should. No, we wouldn't think of it. So what's being uh, happening here is that the fact that he's brought to nothing. And suddenly in that moment of being down to the lowest he could get. And then he says he came to himself and he realized, hold it. The service of my father have it better than I. What am I doing here? What have I done? And so he says, he puts together a speech and a prayer. He says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Just make me one of your hired men. I'm not worthy to be called a son. And so this son indeed goes back. And then we're going to learn something else about what this God is like. He not only seeks not only rescues, but then how he expresses that through the relationship of a father. When the, when the son comes back, in verse 20, if you still have your Bibles open, 
We'll just look at that in a second. It says, while he arose and came to his father, and, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Interesting. If you were new to that community, and you were trying to get to know the community and connections, maybe with some business associations, you would notice somebody that would be wandering around the community. You ask them, what's that older man? What's he doing out there? Oh, yeah. You know what that man did? Well, his son disgraced him, disgraced the family, disgraced the nation. He went and took his inheritance and took off. He probably got killed somewhere in a Gentile city somewhere. And probably that's the last we'll ever see of him. But what's he doing? What's, the, what's he doing? He hasn't given up on his son coming back. So he keeps wandering the streets, wandering the roads, looking, looking for his son. And it says that the son, that the father saw him. So we see that the father's waiting the father is watching. And then notice it also says the father felt something emotionally. What did he feel emotionally? It wasn't contempt. It wasn't anger. He felt emotionally compassion. Compassion for his son. He got a glimpse. That's my son. Oh, he's so thin. Oh, he's, he looks ragged. Oh, he had compassion for him. See, we're seeing something of the nature of God, that he looks at us in the situations, contexts that we have made, maybe ourselves, messed up our lives in different ways. He doesn't condemn us, demean us, but he has compassion. It says when Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion. That word, that Greek word carries with it something in, in the bowels of a person, where it's the core of their being emotionally feels that compassion. See, that's what God feels for people. That's what he felt for us, what he continues to feel for us. He's a compassionate God. It says he felt compassion for him. And then what's he do? He runs. Runs. Back in those times, it was undignified for an older man to run particularly with their robes. They'd have to gird them up and run. And some of us running at an older age probably wouldn't too fluid. We wouldn't be too many prefontaines here probably in our midst. But back in in those days, undignified to do that. But he runs. You know, there's certain times to break protocol with things because there's a higher good that we're pursuing is something that probably God notices, like the woman that had an issue of blood she was out in public touching people where a lot of people wouldn't want to be associated with her. What did, she, what did she say? I just wanted to get to touch the hem of his robe. And Jesus' power came out of him when she touched him. Something appropriate for violating protocol because there's a desperation that we have. Or Bartimaeus, when he heard that Jesus was going by, he began shouting, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, mercy upon me. And the crowd was saying, oh, you're making... You're making a scene here. It's quiet down, quiet. He said, Son of David, have mercy upon me. He got Jesus' attention. And so this father breaks protocol because he wanted to express the compassionate love that he had for his son coming back. And then not only has he had been waiting, watching, feeling, running, but then he begins to embrace his son, hugs his son. He kisses his son and the the force of the, of the Greek there is ongoing kissing. He continues to kiss him. And then he restores him where he says, you know, bring, 
bring the sandals, bring the robe, bring the ring. All that was was a reinstatement of sonship. That's what he wanted to communicate that to him. So as we think about that particular encounter that the father has with the young son when he comes back, you think, on one hand, what's missing here? I mean, there's a lot of things we could say, but what's missing is, you know, there's no punishment. Where's the justice? Where is the little contract that the father would be saying, oh, well, I've been carrying this around in case you ever did come back. We're, we're going to work out some stipulations as to whether or not you can prove your character that could be commendable as a representative of this family community. Again, we'll have you live there in that stall in the far corner of the property, and you can uh, show up and eat with the servants. You know, none of that. It was just uh, the oceans, to use Tozer's term again, the oceans of compassion that were poured out upon the sun. But then, who else is missing? It's the older son. Where was he? Well, he was out laboring away, as he told his father in their encounter. I've been serving, working away here all these years, and you put this party together for uh, this son of yours. Doesn't even call him his brother. The son of yours that comes back. So what was he doing? He was lost too. Oh, he was there in proximity, working away diligently. But notice, didn't have that relationship with his father. So really, there was two lost sons. There was the one son that was the obvious rebellious one. The one that, that embarrassed everyone in the family and ran off. But then there was another son. He was the one representative, really, of the scribes and Pharisees. We're the ones that had been diligently working here all these years. We're the ones trying to maintain the glory of God in Israel. And they were so misguided. And it says that that older son was angry. Angry that the father could to pour out grace on these riffraff over here, these marginal people. How could God do that? But, you know, they did not know the whole of the Old Testament where it says God delights in loving kindness, delight in showing compassion to people. He delights in restoring people. He delights in invading lives that have been lost and without hope and bringing his hope and his joy and his restoration to them. But what else do we learn about this God? Do you notice, going back to the first parable of the shepherd that brings the sheep back, how does he carry him back on his shoulders? And then what's he do? He calls together his friends and neighbors. And celebrates. He says, come and celebrate with me. Isn't that a little over the top? It's kind of like, okay, I mean, it happens in agriculture. You lose... You know, an animal, and you find it, great. We're happy for you. Good. Good for you. No, we got to have a party. What? What? Okay, okay. Or the woman finds the coin, calls together her neighbors, friends. She has a party. Well, we're glad. You know, we're happy for you. You found that last coin. But having a party? Maybe we need to understand a little bit more about the heart of God towards people. From God's perspective, one person who turns to him in repentance, that's worth celebrating. But you notice also in those first two parables, what else goes on? 
joy for the angels of God. Hold it, hold it. It's not just friends and neighbors. It's the angelic realm that comes involved and is rejoicing with one person who repents. You know, in, in Monmouth there, along a lot of the cities with the stay-at-home orders we've had, you know, all those, all those kids that you know, had birthdays during that time, you know, you couldn't have you know, a certain amount of people and kids over, and they didn't have these birthday times. So what did the police and fire department do? They had a little parade. You know, you, you know, you'd be out, you know, you, you'd be in your house, and suddenly you see all these, you hear these sirens, you go out there, what's going on? And we started figuring out. They were putting a birthday parade together for these different kids. It was, I mean, it was really fun to see when they bring the kids out in front of the house and they they bring some presents and things. It was a way to help these kids celebrate because they couldn't have the normal birthday parties. Then they discovered that there were some older people that thought it was a good idea, and the older people started doing it to one another. And you know what? It doesn't matter what age we are. It's always great to have a parade that celebrates us and somebody noticed. You know, that was going on in heaven when these people were turning to God. It says there is a celebration parade where God says, Come, Gabriel, Michael, the only angels we know by name, along with all the other myriads of angels, I want you to notice what's going on. This person's turning to me in repentance. There is a celebration indeed in heaven. So we have a seeking God, a God who restores, and a God who indeed celebrates when people turn to him. But you notice also the celebration that happens, and he mentions the word repentance. Repentance is a gift of God's grace that helps us to see a perspective of reality as God sees it. That we have indeed sinned, we have been wrong, and where we come to God, we say, God, but you're the solution for my sin, for the wrongs I've done. You notice the son, he put together that prayer and that speech to his dad. He says, I've sinned against heaven, against God. And and he expresses it to his father. I've sinned against you, dad. See, that's genuine repentance. The repentance that God indeed notices. You also notice that the father cut the son off from a speech. He got a couple things out. And he says, bring the fattened calf. Bring the community. He was already into the celebration. You know, God notices what goes on in our hearts. See, well, there's a genuine touch of the Spirit of God that happens within our lives. Where we're able to acknowledge before him truly what we have done that has brought grief to him and then embrace the forgiveness that is found for us in Christ. King David of Psalm 51, that psalm was a repentant prayer that he put together after that that horrendous year of his failure and sin when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet and he realized the wrong that he'd done. He put together, and one of the phrases in there, against, he says, against you, O God, against you I've sinned. All these things I've done to my brethren and what I've done to Uriah and Bathsheba, all the wrong I've done, oh God, it was ultimately against you, oh God. Because you are the one that created us and made us, and they're your image bearers. That's what brings 
God's attention to when we genuinely repent. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. God desires to bring refreshing to us by his presence. But he needs us to be honest before him. God can work with an honest person before him. But if we kind of hedge him and ha, we have excuses, self-justifying, which we all have a tendency to do. It's their fault. Circumstances are overwhelming. We all do that. And God wants us to come clean with him. Then we can experience the reality of his spirit. Well, you as a church family, I love uh, the one name associated with PD Memorial Church. It's called the Outpost. I think that none would be lost. I think that's reflecting the character of God, wanting to reach out, that all would come to a knowledge of who Jesus truly is. And may I encourage you to continue, as you have been, praying for the different ones in the community, because God is a God that loves all, and nobody's outside the scope of his grace. We were together with our our Bible study group this last Thursday, and one of the the people came and began uh, expressing the desire to pray for one of their family members. And we had prayed for various family members that they would come to a knowledge of Christ. And we were studying the book of Philippians where it says, contend together for for the faith of the gospel. You know, I think there's something powerful that happens among a church family is when we begin praying, yes, for the various needs that we have, yes. But we're also saying, God, you've positioned us here that people would come to repentance, that we would, we would see there being joy, joy in people's lives of the transforming power and grace of God, and joy before you, Almighty God. So I would encourage you to continue praying for people and then to expect God to be working and looking at the opportunities that he might have. You know, it's interesting how when our mindset changes, how bridges to people's lives start opening up. We live in a particular area where it's, it's a pretty busy neighborhood. A lot of kids coming here and there. And oftentimes, you know, because of the new development technology, when I grew up, you know, people had their eight-track uh, tape players in the back with big speakers in the back of their Camaros and their Mustangs. And that's how you got people's attention. You know, kind of boom, boom, boom down the road. Now with the technology, any any young person can have just something so small and has an amazing, powerful effect where you hear the music throughout the neighborhood. And I can find myself going, I'm a little irritated. You know, I have to listen to their music. You know, they're half a mile away and everybody does. But then I always go, hold it. That's a person created in the image of God. It's amazing when I take the initiative to say hello. How are you doing? How's it going? Boom. Bridges come down. And suddenly, you know, the music is not a big deal. And suddenly I see there's a person created in the image of God. So us looking for opportunities of how ways that God might open the doors, be sharing with people. Why? Because we're maintaining the posture of the Savior that he's seeking looking for lost ones, ones that were like the sun that had gone off since it came back. He was dead, but now he's alive. God is wanting to make alive people all around us. And then, lastly, continue to look for maybe some amazing things that God might be doing in our midst. 
You know, the last time I was with you, I have to, had to mention that uh, there was a, a movie that my daughter had encouraged me to watch. Well, I've got to give her and Daniel credit for another movie that they helped us watch many years ago. It was uh, uh, an animated movie called The Incredibles. <laughs> and uh, and I was amazed. I, well, The Amazing Incredible. It was, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it. But one of the interesting things that happened in that particular movie was Mr. Incredible had all these superpowers. But because it was illegal for superpowers in that particular world, that make-believe world, it was illegal for them to use their superpowers because they had to live like normal people. And so Mr. Incredible, who was, you know, had the strength of Superman, you know, at times would go, man, I have to live just normal. And at one time he was out there trying to work on his car. You know, he's getting frustrated. And finally, you know, out of his anger, he picked up the car. He was trying to look, you know, and then he saw a neighborhood boy looking at him with his face down going, wow. And then later on in the movie, the little kid was uh, watching him again. And, you know, and then the Mr. Incredible goes, oh, well, what do you want? And he goes, well, I had I was kind of hoping to see something amazing. I think that's probably a question that maybe God would have all of us as church families. Are we looking for something amazing? And I would suggest look in the realm of what he's doing in people's lives. Look in the realm into people's lives that maybe are different than us. Look in the realm of maybe ways that God is wanting to reach out and love those that maybe outside our scope of comfortability. Look for the ways that God is drawing and seeking and saving. Look for something. And I want to finish with a quote by Kevin DeYoung. It says, The sheep can recognize the voice of their master. Don't close your ears if you hear the good shepherd speaking to you. Joy waits on the other side of repentance for all kinds of sinners. Heaven is on alert for another ticker tape parade. But it's only for those who are sick enough to be healed, weak enough to be saved, and lost enough to be found. You find yourself in a category like that. I'm just so grateful that God reached into my life many years ago and saved a wandering sheep going in a pathway of destruction and rescued me. And I would say for those of us that know the Lord, you know that God delights in repentance every day in our lives. The gift of repentance is a gift that he gives us by his spirit to be able to turn to him and experience the presence of our Lord. Can we stand together? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for your grace that has come and invaded our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and seeking us when we weren't seeking you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you came and restored us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you came. And we were, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, you made us alive and poured out your grace upon us. Lord, expand our hearts all the more with who you are and give us hearts for the people around us. We ask in Jesus' name.